0: Eroticism is important. It influences and energizes our entire human experience. Eroticism isn't sex. It's sexuality transformed by our imaginations. We encourage lurid listeners to cultivate eroticism, to play with it, smack it, and rub it down. We want you to enjoy yourselves, your partners, and your sexuality. You are entitled to your sexual self.
1: This show is for adults only and contains erotic stories that sometimes feature provocative characters and intense themes and situations that span many literary genres, including action-adventure, science fiction, romance, horror, fantasy, and paranormal. Please listen responsibly.
0: I feel like that was an ejaculating introduction of our show, just like, blah, there it came. Sploosh. You <laughs> just splooshed all over our, our audience. Hey, Lord listeners, welcome back. Man, it's good to be here. You know why? Because Big Daddy is in the mm, studio. Mm, what did we call mm. you with your robe on?
1: Oh, this is my Hugh Hefner But it's outfit.
0: not Hugh Hefner. It's
1: oh, Charles Hefner. <laughs> Hefner, that's right. This is my Charles Hefner.
0: <laughs> it's great. I yeah. like it. Hey. You know, I have my my robe on as well. Although you're fully clothed underneath yours,
1: and looking sharp. Just so
0: y'all know, I'm totally bare-ass naked <laughs> under mine.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful, lovely silk gown that you're wearing that, right now.
0: Nuh-uh, look, bare breasts right there, baby.
1: <laughs> I like the idea. Every week, you should just come on with just the most outlandish outfits.
0: A Deanna Troy outfit. How does that float your vote, ah,
1: ah, Deanna Troy? You're Star gonna Trek? sploosh again.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Although I'm a Crusher man myself. You
0: like Crusher? All oh, right, yeah. I'll be your crush. I'll crush you. <laughs> 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 I'll give you a crush. All right, well, we're here today for the second part of my story, Dove Song, from our audiobook, In Medias Res, You in the Midst of Things. And this second part is action-packed.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, explosive.
0: It's quite explosive. Between the sex and the plot, my goodness. (laughs) It's all over the place. I love this part.
1: Production-wise is, uh... Not normally how I go with some things, but I liked it.
0: That's good. Yeah. You know, did you put any, so you usually do like music, did you do any sound effects in there? Oh, we don't get to tell people, they have to listen. Okay.
1: That was a sound effect right there. Oh. <laughs> I'm skating on ice. <laughs>
0: it, it sounds like the enterprise doors. Oh, oh. no, that's more. Yeah. <laughs> There it is. We got to watch Star Trek, obviously. It's in the air. No kidding.
1: I mean, you are wearing the outfit.
0: I am. Yeah. Duh. Wearing hot.
1: Can you read my mind?
0: You you want a blowjob.
1: <laughs> it's like you're a Betazoid. I so am.
0: Oh, my God. Well, we hope you guys are having a good week. Here is the second part of my story Dove Song. (laughs) Guests have trickled in through the gates for the last two hours. Their low murmurs of laughter and the crunch of their boot heels atop the gravel pathways have massaged your guilt and quickened your heartbeat. A rekindling fills your blood as the old temptation takes hold of you. Concentrating on anything contrary is difficult. Responsibility should make you more concerned that Ben's nowhere to be found, but you can't shake what the events up by Penny's grave have inspired within you. Still, Ben's words echo in your mind. You'll never love Weinman House the way Penny did. You rub your temples, tired of studying the dossiers that you already know by heart. The back-and-forth letters helped you communicate and gain the intimate details of each man who reserved bids on your girls tonight. Penny had never been so bold nor thorough with the process. Her dossiers were thinly focused on bank accounts and simple details of religion, Family lineage and political standings, with a few notes on food and hobbies. Details that could never constitute the total sum of any man. Unlike Penny, you know intimately how these men are geared. Like watches, you know what makes them tick. But it's all in vain because while these men are good suitors, the idea of selling your girls to them sits poorly in your stomach. You shove your chair back and pace the bedroom, fidgeting, conflicted, What if you ran Weinman House the way you've always dreamed, instead of the way you'd promised? Everyone would be happier and certainly more satisfied, except Ben, of course. You silently hope he's found another whiskey bottle and tucked himself away for the night. And May, beautiful May, would never have to leave you. Martha could serve as she's always wanted. In front of Penny's large, gilded dressing mirror, You close your eyes and focus on the low, distant sounds of the men's laughter outside, and it hearkens to your lust. When you open your eyes, everything Penny forbade stares back at you. You stroke your fingertips over the tight ribbing of your bodice and silken skirts of dark crimson satin, and you feel lighter, as though Penny's hold on you is waning. A new purpose surges. Nerve endings extend, tempting you toward a true and honest wholeness. Penny's closet full of dresses, prim dove gray, each with its own humble flare of black crinoline, could never make you feel the way this dress does. Its bold red and black glass beadwork drips exquisitely from your shoulders. You are all you in this dress. That can't be you, Penny, you whisper. A quick rap falls against the bedroom door. Come in. Your voice is thick with emotion, but you twist and look over your shoulder, feigning interest in your dress's remarkably low back and small bustle. A slash of white lace catches your eye in the mirror as Martha enters your room, her maid's cap. A fulcrum twists you away from your reflection and further from the promise you'd made to Penny. Your housekeeper brandishes a note, But her hand freezes mid-air. Close your mouth, Martha, or you'll catch flies. Yes, ma'am. You pluck the note from her outstretched hand, hiding a smile. You fear the letter is from the photographer, sending his humble regrets that he's unable to attend tonight's festivities. But you quickly recognize your gunman's chicken-scratch handwriting. As you read, a warm thrill runs through your veins. He's waiting in the hall, you ask. Pacing the room once more. As fast as brush fire, you mentally run through a handful of scenarios. All the angles benefit Weinman House and the girls. You read the note again, then place it on your desk. Penny would never condone what you are considering. Before your dead mistress's voice can bring sense to impulse, you tell Martha to send the man in. Samuel Faraway. The gunman with a hero's shoulders used to enter your bedroom ready for pain. Ma'am, Sam says, stepping over the threshold. He tips his hat, but keeps his silver blue eyes humble within your domain. After Penny returned early from recruiting a wagon full of girls one afternoon and discovered you whipping Sam, the boundaries of your relationship with the gunman had been drastically altered. Sam had nearly lost his job. Over dinner, with an overly enthusiastic and rather slurry prayer of forgiveness led by Ben, Penny spouted about ungodly indecencies and ordered you to discontinue contact with the obviously confused gunman. Martha closes and locks the door, then waits nearby, hands neatly folded in front of her apron. Power washes over you. Your hands tremble at the opportunity before you. Sam's an appealing older man, though he keeps his hair too neat for your taste. He stands a full three inches shorter than you, but his gunmanship is renowned and integral to the success of Wineman House. I take it you've locked the gates? You walk a slow circle around your man, like in the old days. Yes, ma'am, he swallows, Adam's apple handsomely bobbing. You feel as though you are reborn in the tightness of the new dress, in Sam's vulnerability as he stands before you, waiting to hear what you'll say, and in Martha's quiet presence. Our guest's firearms? I took stock of weapons and stowed them in the safe, ma'am. Your gunman hesitates, his big mustache twitching. There was one guest who didn't turn up, ma'am. Oh, you look over at the folded note on your desk, and in an instant, you know who it is. Your skin warms with certainty. An exquisite desire to strike lurks within the palm of your hand. Sam has killed dozens of men. The two of you used to revel in disrupting his unique taste for it. But the missing guest speaks of something new for Sam. Something useful to you and Weinman House. An opportunity. May I? Sam indicates his vest's striped pocket. You nod, consent, and he retrieves his rumpled copy of the guest list, pointing at the unmarked name. This man here, he says, mustache twitching once again. A pulse of excitement rails through your veins when you see that it is, in fact, Gregory steams. However, this also confirms that new lessons need to be learned. This worries me greatly, Sam. The gentleman is fine, ma'am. Clearing his throat, Sam quickly adds, Just got himself turned around is all. Plenty of twisted roads up this way. You know city folk. Sweat glistens at his temples. Samuel Faraway is more than a capable gunman. He's scrupulous and determined. But more so, he's a prideful man. He carries the same love for Weinman House as you do. He's also spent an exceptional amount of time in Rebecca's company, and though she's played aloof to his efforts to gain her favor, you know she's the reason for Gregory Steams' convenient absence. You make eye contact with Martha and beckon her over, then ask Sam directly, you're certain my guest didn't run into any trouble. Anger would be a waste of time here. Sam would never intentionally do anything to put Weinman House at risk, no matter how pretty the petticoat. No, ma'am, he avows. There was no foul play of any kind. He'll be back down to Silver City just after nightfall. Satisfied, you nod and tuck away a reminder that Rebecca will need to write an earnest letter of concern to Mr. Steams, her pride be damned. Well, this leaves Weinman House short tonight, doesn't it? You sigh, coming around in front of him now. I never took you for a man who'd skulk so easily to the bidding of a woman. Rebecca has actually agreed to your proposal of marriage? Sam's gray-blue eyes brighten. Yes, ma'am. Poor Mr. Steams. Circling your gunman a little slower this time, you say, You know, I chose him for a reason, Sam. Yes, ma'am. You can tell your gunman isn't comfortable with the direction of this conversation, but right now, his feelings are irrelevant. Mr. Steams is a special man. I worked very hard to get him to open up, share his private desires with me. He's certainly more handsome than you. Sam's jaw clenches. But what truly set him apart from the others who were interested in Rebecca is that he wrote to me detailing his deepest cravings for a strong-willed woman, a woman who will put her heel to his scrotum and not flinch. You see, Sam, Mr. Steams is a constant disappointment to his overbearing mother because he only owns two oil refineries in Texas when she wants him to buy another three. You reach for Sam's letter and hold it up. If I allow you to marry Rebecca, I need you to fully understand what you've taken from Weinman House. From me, Sam. You slam the note back down on your desk and Martha flinches. Yes, ma'am, but... You hold up your hand and Sam closes his mouth. Now you stand before your gunman, looking down at the top of his neatly combed hair. I will not be undermined again, Sam. You turn to your ever-devoted housemaid. Martha, would you care to assist me in making sure that Sam is made clear on another point? Oh, yes, ma'am, Martha breathes, more than anything. Remove his hat, please. Leave his gun belt as it is. Almost ceremonially, Martha approaches your gunman and removes his hat. With two fingers, she pulls the very edge of the rumpled guest list until the parchment slips free from Sam's grip. She places both items on your desk and then kneels directly in front of Sam's shiny black boots, waiting for whatever you'll ask for her next. Many options spring to mind. You've split Sam's skin more times than you can remember, But it's been a long time. The whipping had been at his request to clear a gunman's unique guilt. Together, the two of you found yourselves within that shared brand of violence. But Sam has evolved. Now, it all settles into a neat line of understanding when you add Rebecca into the mix. You are not surprised he wants to marry her. In fact, you think you might be grateful for it. For a time, there is nothing but the sound of the clock ticking as you refamiliarize yourself with the sexual power and authority you once held over Sam and yourself. Still as a statue, Sam waits. When it lands, you're certain the slap to his face makes his ears ring, helping him understand how much money he's cost you. Savoring the sting in your palm and fingers, you revel in your gunman's satisfyingly must hair. Past the line of polished buttons and below his glinting pocket watch chain, just below his big gun belt buckle, his erection is already straining the seam of his bridges. Martha scoots her knees closer, nearly touching them to the points of Sam's boots. Her white lace maid's cap sits atop her head, the purest symbol of her most desired form of submission. This is the role of mistress you were born to fulfill, but you must conquer the sudden rush of its power when you touch Martha's lace cap as she unfastens Sam's trousers. You step close enough to smell your gunman's shaving powder and hair oil and whisper against his ear. You must know Rebecca will never love you. That little prick of yours will never see the light of day. Sam's big mustache does nothing to hide the sweat now glistening on his upper lip. The bold shine in his silvery eyes is a sight to behold. Martha widens the opening of Sam's pants, leaving his gun belt undisturbed, and retrieves his half-erect cock. You touch Martha's lace cap again, and she scoots her knees closer still. The tuck of her skirts around the curve of her rump, and Sam's cock in her hand is a vision that makes your heart flutter. There's no satisfying a woman like Rebecca, you say. Trust me, I've had to endure her pettiness long enough to know. Your fingers barely touch Martha's lace. Sam sucks in a quick breath as Martha takes him into her mouth. Rebecca and I... Martha's ministrations rob Sam of voice. Faster than a whip, your right hand sails through the air. Your gunman's head snaps to the left. You press Martha's lace again. The power you feel is exquisite. "Mm -mm -mm," She suckles, beginning a slow, steady rhythm. You think Rebecca loves you? You laugh. Rebecca loves money, Sam. She desires things. You're just another thing she wants to own. You swing again, and Sam's head whips to the right. Arching a brow, you dare him to speak otherwise, but he remains silent, his mustache in a taut line, and his hands fixed to his sides. Martha sucks him in deeper, faster. Mm, mm, mm. Sam's jaw sets in a familiar way, making you wish you weren't wearing a corset. Your breasts ache to be scratched by his whiskers. When Sam begins to rock his hips, you slap him again, harder. More, Martha begs from below. Your housemaid's cock-filled pleading inspires you to deliver a fourth blow, the heaviest one yet. Rebecca would want for nothing for the rest of her life if she were to marry my old man, Sam. With a man like you, well, you grab Martha's lace this time, applying pressure, and savoring the motion of her head. A small whine escapes Sam's swollen mouth, but his hips remain stoic. Martha gulps and coughs. Sam's fists ball up tight, and you want to knock the man down, raise your skirts and sit on his whiskered lips with all your weight. Feel the rough burn as you force him to work your clit. Rebecca might take you as her husband, but I know her. She will want to stay here. If she stays here, other men will fuck her, Sam. And they will pay me lots of money to do so. Martha's noises sound wetter, telling you this degradation is working. I will make you her cuckold. Whatever children she bears as a result of it, so help me, Samuel Faraway, they will be your bastards to raise. And with that, you've pulled the gunman's trigger. I don't care, he gasps, weeping, thrusting his hips. The sounds of Martha's hearty swallows fill your bedroom as she matches him thrust for thrust, swallowing his seed. After a time, you help Martha back to her feet. Your mouth waters to taste the cock and comb on her puffy lips. Instead, you escort her to your private washroom, allowing Sam time to get himself resituated. You turn on the faucet and fetch a cloth from the vanity. Then you run the cloth through the water and instantly yank your hand back. The water is scalding. Ouch! A light knock sounds at your bedroom door. Sam scrambles with his pants, his boots scuffing the floor as he goes to answer it. Is Miss Natalie in? It's Agnes. The girls are ready, ma'am, she calls from the entryway. That's fine. Thank you, Agnes. Tell them I'll be with them shortly. Martha rests her head against your hip. She smiles and kisses your burned fingertips. Ma'am, Agnes calls. Agnes, please stop shouting into my room. You smile down at Martha, a promise to reward her later. Both Agnes and Sam fill your washroom's doorway. Agnes looks over Martha as though trying to figure out what she missed. Ma'am, she curtsies, guests are complaining their bathwater's too hot. Nearly burnt the backsides off some of them. Never seen so many men crying and complaining. We cooled the tubs down, but Hollis says he can't find old Ben anywhere. He wanted me to tell you that that other fellow you were expecting, he still didn't ever show. What other fellow, you ask, watching Martha repin her maid's cap? The photographer! Breaking the silence of your thoughts, a metallic, twisting sound comes from overhead in the ceiling, from within the walls around you. Half of Weinman House is ablaze. Stablemen bring as many spare buckets from the horse stables as they can find. Groundskeepers and housemaids work together, shoving buckets at anyone not already tossing water onto the flames. Back and forth, men and women run. Guests with towels still around their waists try to help put out the inferno. Flames fat enough to rob the air from lungs and tall enough to touch the stars have consumed the bathhouse. By the last count, eleven girls have made it outside. No, Miss Natalie, you can't go back in there, Martha yells. Martha and May lock their arms through yours to hold you back. You gain a couple steps advantage, and then a wall of heat belches against your face, suddenly shoving all three of you back as the bathhouse window explodes outward. Sam hurls himself from one of the foyer's lower windows, his face glistening with sweat and filthy with soot. He stumbles down the porch steps. Rebecca's limp body spills from his arms into a heap on the rough gravel. You find the strength to shake free of Martha and May and run to her. The seams of your dress split as you fall to your knees, scooping Rebecca into your arms. Her beautiful dress, creamy yellow satin with stitched white flowers, is charred and fused to her body. Sam crawls forward, nearly falling onto you both. Oh, God, no, Rebecca! Coughing, you shove him away. Martha and May hold him back. Carefully, you try to remove strands of hair from Rebecca's forehead and cheek, but they're melted against her skin. Another explosion rends the night air, sending shards of glass raining down from the second- and third-story window panes. A chorus of screams erupts as your girls and guests dive, shielding themselves from the falling debris, their buckets full of water sent spilling onto the ground. Little spasms gain your attention, and you lower your ear to Rebecca's soot-stained lips. Smoke billows behind you. Cinders choke the air, stinking of singed hair and melted satin. Your eyes fill with tears of relief when Rebecca sputters and groans against your cheek. She's weak, but you know it's more than instinct that sends her burned and trembling hand toward Sam. May turns her head, sobbing against Martha's shoulder. Take her, Sam. Martha, fetch her some water. All around, people with desperate expressions painted on their faces try to douse the flames that ravage Weinman House. Martha wipes tears from her eyes and picks up an errant kitchen bowl, then heads for the water pump by the stables. May stumbles over her lavender, satin skirts, turning her head from side to side, searching for anything that might hold water. She snatches up a bucket and gathers her skirts, fast walking toward the Sabine fountain. Koi fish dart to the opposite side of their pool and flop their protest as their home is ransacked by May's bucket. Next to the fountain... Firelight illuminates the thin, wavering silhouette of a man, his suspenders askew. Your brain buzzes with fear, seeing the pistol in Ben's right hand. You touch Sam's shoulder, and his shocked looking eyes follow yours. His shoulder hardens as his gaze locks onto Ben. You whores brought this hellfire to Weinman House! Ben shrieks over the shouts filling the courtyard. He staggers against the fountain, and a koi fish flaps and flails up and out of the fountain, landing in the bordering shrubs. Jumping, Ben fires at it and misses, but sends a few people diving for their lives once again. May screams and backs away from the fountain, her bucket left floating. Sam's right arm moves ever so slightly. Corruption! Ben takes a few drunken steps forward. May steps back, and her movement catches the crazed handyman's eye. Ben turns to her. Satan spawn! Horse lying with horse spreading disease, he shouts, raising his pistol. It all happens at once. May throws her hands up and turns her face away. Ben, seemingly emboldened, takes two steps toward her. A scream of panic claws its way up your throat, but it's too slow a warning. Ben's gun barrel flares to life. May falls backward, her body pivoting sickeningly as she falls to the ground. Ben's body hits the ground a moment later. The sight befuddles you until you smell something acrid. Long tendrils of smoke slink upward from the end of Sam's pistol. Go to her, Sam urges, lifting Rebecca so you can get your legs out from beneath her. May's voice cries. Natalie! A man, his jacket disheveled, big square pockets torn on one side, gets to May before you do. Get away from her, you scream. The man hovers, and relief washes over you when you see he's examining her wound. May cries out when the stranger quickly tears away the satin at her shoulder. The man takes a handkerchief from his pants pocket, and another kerchief from yet another pocket. Press this here, and this one here, he says. You stare at him, dumbly. The bullet has gone all the way through, just here, do you see? The man gets to his feet. This is a good wound, he adds, dusting off his slacks. You tie the kerchiefs around May's shoulder. Something nags at the back of your mind. I'll be back in a flash. I've antiseptics just on the other side of the gate. I'm afraid I had to climb my way over. Before heading off, he stops and turns, holding out his hand. My name is Colm Hartman. Photographer. Weinman House's largest room, the Gold Room, is where Penny once held the grandest of social gatherings. It was also her original hunting ground. A masterful listener, she'd feel out potential buyers, listen to men secretly telling tales of prostitutes they'd had or dreamed of having. Penny believed that by gathering the right kind of prostitutes, by educating them and dressing them in fine clothing, she could reform them into wifely material with the help of Ben, the handyman-turned-preacher. She wanted reformation and charged a lot of money for it. You've always understood something on a more personal level. Refinement and fulfillment were fine if nobody got hurt. What Penny did for her girls never sat right with you. But now that she's gone, and more so now that Weinman House has been rebuilt, her voice no longer rings in your head the way it used to. You can finally run the mansion the way you've always wanted. From the new mezzanine above, you take considerable pride in knowing that the rebuilt ballroom will no longer be quiet as it once was. It still might be a glorified shop of women for men to meet, converse with, and fuck later, but everything about Weinman House and its grounds better exemplifies excess to a much more honest degree. The Gold Room is still the heart of Weinman House, but you and your girls are its new rhythm. Salvaged from the fire, two of Penny's original oil paintings decorate the walls, Bountiful gardens, lounging gossamer-clad goddesses, and apple-cheeked cherubs supply just the right amount of opulence. Even in its enormity, the Gold Room's new handcrafted leather and upholstered furniture invites guests to assemble and communicate much more intimately than ever before. Guests are due to arrive within the hour. As usual, you are running short of time, but you've done so purposefully today, for Martha. She's trying something new, and she needs your special guidance. A handful of girls, all dressed in their finest satin, have gathered in the gold room to see the new exhibit in their last spare minutes before Weinman House's front gates open. They're getting their first look at Mr. Hartman's latest photograph, handsomely framed and on center display. Three salacious images of May are on the wall, too, but they've been up for several weeks now. May out by the brand-new croquet yard. May knee-deep in the refurbished turtle pond. May leaning against the soot-stained Sabine fountain with you fucking her from behind with a dildo. This morning, Mr. Hartman has installed a photograph of Martha. It's larger than all the others, and his prideful eye is clear in the care he took with her. The image is centered on the wall, more prominent than the others, and your girls' quiet comparisons brings a smile to your lips. You haven't decided if you are ready to sell any of the prints yet, as May has enthusiastically suggested. Many of the photographs on the exhibit wall reflect the stages of Weinman House's reconstruction. At first, you hated those haunting images, reminders of how close the mansion had come to falling, how close your girls came to perishing. Mr. Hartman's craft has been quite the inspiration. Now, all the girls except for one hope to be photographed by Weinman House's newest resident. You pull Martha's lead, guiding her until she's sandwiched between you and the thickly lacquered handrail. You press your body against her nude warmth. Do you see them, pet? She leans until her breasts hang over the railing. You cup one of them in your palm, rolling her nipple between your fingers as more girls make their way into the gold room. The leather lead is taut in your other hand as Martha arches at your touch. I wish I knew what they were saying, she softly moans. You give her nipple an appreciative pinch. With the leash and her new collar, Martha has gained a level of confidence you never imagined she could. You curve your body against hers, wishing, not for the first time, that you had a cock. The urge to fuck her, bent over the railing like this, makes you growl against her nape. Look at their faces, my pet. You are inspiring them. You must be able to guess what they are saying. Martha's nipple hardens. Will they think less of me after tonight? She asks, out of breath, touching her white leather and lace collar. Below, you spy Agnes rushing into the ballroom with Rebecca's garment bag in her arms, undelivered. You don't want to be too hard on the girl. News of the new photograph on display is an understandable distraction. Besides, you don't mind making Rebecca wait a little bit longer. Don't fret, little one. Tonight, every girl here will want to be you, if they don't already. And every man will want to have you. You chuckle against Martha's tight curls. Brushing your fingertips down her belly, you rake her thick nether coils, wishing again that you had a cock between your legs, a large one to fuck her beautifully round backside with. Martha chose to not be shaved like the other girls this morning, though it is still your favorite tradition. Running your fingers through her coarse hairs, you are pleased that she didn't. The act of clutching her this way leaves your knees weak. Look at how Lynn's biting her lip, you say, sliding a finger between Martha's cunt lips. When you feel how dewy she is, you tighten your grip on her leash. The urge to fuck her washes over you anew. You bring your teeth to her shoulder for a possessive nip. And Big Chrissy, despite all those pink frills, you can still see how tightly she's squeezing those fat thighs of hers together. From behind, you dip two fingers into Martha's cunt. And then there's poor little Agnes running around without your help today. Your voice goes a little gruff. Even though she is behind in her duties, she can't help herself. That picture of you on the wall has them all wondering about themselves, pet. You are causing their desires to surface. You massage Martha's nub and her grip tightens on the railing. They wish they had the courage to speak their minds the way that you have, Martha. To put words to the pleasures they want. Still leaning over the rail, Martha arches her back more, and you strum faster. Tonight the gold room will be full of men. Every one of them will watch you, pet. This collar will provoke them, but I will keep you safe. It had been Mr. Hartman's idea to have the lead made, citing that while photographing tribesmen along the Amazon, he'd photographed tribes where the matriarch led her many husbands around as a show of status to other, lesser tribes. As soon as the suggestion spilled from Mr. Hartman's smooth lips, Martha's look of longing told you she would want a collar of her own. You found yourself surprisingly adaptable to this new arrangement. The sight of you will make cocks drip, you say. Martha clutches the railing and leans forward, her breasts hanging over and her ass yours. Bending to the pleasure you give her, she whimpers loud enough to draw the gaze of every girl below. They look upward. They're watching you, pet. Open your eyes. Martha does and gasps audibly on sudden exhibition. From behind, you hold the lead with your left hand and fuck four fingers of your right hand deep into her cunt. From below, the girls watch with rapt attention as Martha shakes and cries out, her tits shaking as you give to her body and her mind. Her cunt tightens and becomes sloshy as she opens to you. Overcome with a euphoric release of your own, you imagine it's your cock fucking her to orgasm, and you breathe in the musky scent of her quickly spent sex. Agnes! You breathe heavily. You best get that dress on up to Rebecca. The cluster of women, red-faced, some with mouths hanging open, some with hands splayed over plump, heaving cleavage, slowly disperses. Agnes fumbles with the heavy garment bag. After a moment, she curtsies, then quickly exits the ballroom, heading up the stairs. You make your way through the upstairs main hall and on up to the third floor as well, admiring the way Martha's skin shines. You lead her past the new vented room where the customized cisterns are. Much of Weinman House's interior design isn't as Penny would have preferred, but Mr. Hartman had proved to be very useful in the mansion's repair. He'd written to an old architect friend in New York. Charles Lloyd Dutton had turned out to be a reasonably priced man, more than delighted to share his innovative concepts. Mr. Dutton had also happened to know an engineer who could manufacture a new water heating system with a reliable pressure release mechanism that wasn't as easily tampered with as the last. During reconstruction, many of the girls had wanted to rename the mansion, but as homage to Penny, to her undeniable grit and perseverance as a woman, you decided to keep the original name, though you still have no idea why your mistress had ever called it Weinman House in the first place. You knock against Rebecca's door and hear the familiar scuff of boot heels. You're late, Rebecca says, rising from her quilted window seat as Sam opens the door. He closes the door softly behind you. I thought you had decided to ignore me. Turning just so, Rebecca is beautifully silhouetted by late morning sunshine. Her scars are hardly noticeable. It is a very subtle shift of glance, but Martha's nude and leashed appearance obviously surprises Rebecca. She hasn't been down to the gold room to see the newest of Mr. Hartman's installments. She hasn't found it in herself to view any of the photographs. You've seen the way she ignores her own reflections in mirrors, window panes, and even the Sabine fountain. In time, you hope her sensitivity will pass. Standing close to Martha, Sam indicates the garment bag hanging from a floral-painted ceramic hook next to his wife's sheet-covered dressing mirror. She didn't want to open it until you got here, he tells you quietly. Together, Rebecca and Sam live in a small cottage on acreage that sits closer to the reservoir. This room is her domain in the mansion. Everything is arranged as I requested, Rebecca asks. As you promised? Everything's arranged, yes. Martha's lead pulls against your grip. Mr. Steams is returning tonight with the understanding that what he missed out on previously will be addressed this evening. Rebecca opens the loose ties holding the garment bag closed, then peers inside. You catch a glimpse of the dress's native frills and alluring reds and yellows. It's a busy pattern, too much for your taste, but on Rebecca it will look exotic. You are reminded of the day Penny brought her up to Weinman House. You regret the jealousy you'd felt then. Rebecca is a proud woman, and it's only now, after the fire, that you've gotten to really know her. For example, she used to do the bookkeeping at the whorehouse where Penny had found her. In addition to earning her share of income for the mansion, Rebecca has also agreed to help oversee Weinman House's accounts. And my husband? The oil man is still in agreement about his role? Rebecca's dark eyes flash toward Martha, just as you feel movement at the end of the lead once more. Mr. Steams hasn't wavered. He'll participate in whatever you see fit to do. Gracias, Rebecca says. She's never thanked you for anything, and her sudden gratitude tightens your throat unexpectedly. May I offer you something to drink, she asks. Thank you, no. May is waiting for you. You still need your bath, and she agreed to pin your hair. Perhaps, then, something for your pet? Rebecca's eyes shine, and you turn around just as Martha's lead pulls again. No, thank you. Apparently, this one's not as housebroken as I thought, you say, surprised to see Martha with her hand on Sam's holstered gun as he palms her breast. At the sound of Rebecca's throat clearing, Sam steps back from Martha. Yes, well, mine seems to thrive on disappointing me regularly, Rebecca says. She opens her bedroom door. You give Martha's lead a none-too-gentle tug and make your exit. A few steps down the hall, you hear a sharp slap, accompanied by a low grunt, followed by the harsh words, Little and Prick, followed by another hard slap. Martha, Mr. Hartman says when you enter your room. In the floral, upholstered, wing-backed chair opposite the bed, He's sitting, long legs crossed, nose buried in another salacious catalog. His camera stands a few feet away from the foot of your bed. Perched atop your bed, wearing the pink silk robe that arrived late last night, May's ringlets are shiny smooth and copper-colored. A strip of garter belt draws your eye toward a tempting patch of freckled skin, but your earlier disappointment is rekindled. Your soap and bath towel are on the floor, forgotten, as May, surrounded by what could be hundreds of Mr. Hartman's photographs, fawns over one photograph, then picks up another. It's an extensive collection of women that the resourceful man had acquired over several years. May could hardly keep her eyes off the body treasures once she discovered them tucked away in one of his travel-worn cases. At every turn, you find her shuffling through handfuls of them, like they're playing cards. May aims to have her own nude collection to sell by the end of the month, and with Mr. Hartman's connections and his promise to help her, you fear you have become secondary in her mind. Frankly, Weinman House could use a share of the profits. The mansion's reconstruction costs had nearly depleted Penny's savings, not to mention your own. You unlatch the lead from Martha's collar, then toss it onto the brass drink trolley conveniently parked within arm's reach next to your bed. Beside a carafe made of tall crystal sits May's glass. She's taken a liking to Penny's special occasion bourbon. Oh, Natalie. May sighs over a particular image that's caught her eye just as you tip back her forgotten drink. Calm is a whiz behind the lens, I can't decide how I want to be photographed next. There's a mischievous glint in Mr. Hartman's eye as he gazes at her from over the edge of his catalog. I'm sure we'll come up with something, kitten, he says, then quickly clears his throat when he catches your stern gaze. Beg your pardon, Miss Natalie. He sets the catalog aside and rises from the chair, smoothing his pants. May puts the photograph down and pouts, obviously still wanting to be the center of attention. She fusses with her silk robe. It comes open, exposing one small freckled breast and soft pink nipple. You lick your lips as you catch the scent of rose oil and decide to forgo the bath. Turning to Martha, you say, ready to behave like a good pet? Martha quickly nods, her sable-colored eyes shining. Good. Let's try again, shall we? You press her against a corner bedpost and roughly knead her breasts. Immediately, her nipples pucker against your palms. You kiss her with a punishing, possessive flurry of lips and tongue and teeth until she's eventually gasping for air. Her body softens in submission, bending to your will. Good girl, you say. You're nearly as breathless as she is. Now, unbutton my shirt, pet. Martha visibly regathers herself, but fumbles with your buttons. After, she reaches to undo your long black braid, but you shake your head. Leave it. My breeches and boots next, please. Yes, ma'am. Mr. Hartman looks up from behind his box camera, tightening the lens, and says, Why, Martha, you look like the cat who ate the canary. In a fashion, I suppose she nearly did, Mr. Hartman. You step out of your pants and my gunman is currently paying the price for it. Martha's cheeks flush as she removes your socks next. Anything I can do to right the situation, Miss Natalie? Mr. Hartman offers, while adjusting his tripod setting. May scoots closer to the side of the bed, and you cup her chin. I believe so, Mr. Hartman. Martha here needs a reminder about doing as she's told, not as she pleases. Oh? Mr. Hartman straightens and smiles brightly. Is that so? May reaches for Martha's hand. Don't be too cruel, Natalie. I'm sure Martha is terribly sorry for whatever she's done. Why, yes, ma'am. You cut Martha off. Mr. Hartman? Yes, Miss Natalie. Just how many straps have you got in that old, beat-up chest of yours? May's bright blue eyes go wide. She bites her lower lip and palms one of her freckled tits. Mr. Hartman, all of a sudden seeming quite satisfied with the positioning and focus of his camera, quickly strides over to the very same travel case in which May had discovered his collection of lewd photographs. He returns with a handful of soft leather bindings. Will this be sufficient? You nod, taking the strips of leather. Lace your fingers together, Martha, and hold up your wrists. You should be sterner with her. Martha's primary request, she wants you to use her. She wants you to give her any order or punishment as you see fit, no matter how debased you think it might make her feel. You wrap a binding around Martha's wrists, then knot it to another band and thread that end through her collar into another secure knot, which will keep her hands in a praying position. She'll still be able to use her fingers, though not as extensively as her mouth. These bindings will serve to remind you to restrain your willfulness. You cannot just reach for anything you want, my pet. Tears glisten in Martha's eyes, so you speak softly. We made the rules together, remember? That's how I'm to keep you safe. soft kisses against Martha's outer thigh as you check her collar one last time to be sure she'll not run short of air. Wearing this collar isn't a means for you to gorge yourself unless I permit it. Yes, ma'am, Martha whispers. You slip a finger beneath the alluring band of white lace and leather and kiss her once more, this time more gently. You let her tongue play against yours Then lead her to kneel before your cameraman. Mr. Hartman, I'd like you to take a photograph. Of course, Miss Natalie. Shall I? He indicates the front button of his pants. Martha, please help Mr. Hartman. And as for you, you turn to May. There are four straps of leather remaining in your hand. My spirited little darling. Arching an eyebrow at the photographs she's got spread over your bed cover, you say. I think you could use a lesson in restraint as well. Tall and blessedly naked, you approach the footboard, then lean against the corner bedpost. You crook a finger, and May crawls to you, her mouth open, her tits seeming to point at all the photographs of naked and posed women along the way. The thick paper bends and crinkles softly beneath her small knees and palms as she approaches. At the foot of the bed, she rises onto her knees and plants wet kisses against your navel and the underside of your heavy left breast. When May sucks your right nipple into her mouth, you bring the handful of leather down to your cunt and rub the straps against your bushy, wet slit again and again, rhythmically. Your clit swells hotly at the rough sensation as you mark the leather thoroughly. May sucks harder until eventually you roll your shoulder and your fat nipple pops wetly from her mouth. Lie down, Maven Brown, you say. May is a dreamy vision surrounded by pink silk and photographs. Her feet point toward the headboard and her blue eyes look up at you from just below your bushy, black-haired cunt. One slender wrist at a time, you secure your busy little darling to the bed's two end posts. Spread those legs wide, May. Several of Mr. Hartman's photographs fall onto the floor from either side of your bed as May obeys. You take your time wrapping and tying the cunt-scented strips of leather to May's ankles, securing her to the bed's special-made slatted frame. Once you're satisfied, you won't be able to wriggle free. You climb onto the bed, too, photographs in silk beneath your big knees and palms. You look up. Mr. Hartman's trousers are open, his long cock sliding deeply in and out of Martha's mouth. One of his hands cradles the back of her head, while the other holds his box camera steady. Or perhaps it's the camera that holds him steady. You watch for a moment, absorbing the scene, letting it fuel your heavy lust. Then you situate yourself between May's spread thighs and loop your arms under them, letting the scent of her arousal and your favorite rose oil fill your lungs. May, you breathe. You are so very precious to me. She lets out a pretty moan and her thin muscles strain as she pulls against the knots in your marked leather. Unlike Martha, May chose to have her cunt shaved this morning for tonight's party. You are quite pleased. You lower your head slowly, reveling in the ache and swell of your clit. As May looks on, you flatten your tongue and take your first slow taste of her. Her hips roll. Miss Natalie, if I could trouble you to look this way and hold your position for just a moment, Mr. Hartman says through gritted teeth, The dear man tries to keep himself available for Martha's mouth, but it isn't easy to work around the tripod's spindly legs without upsetting the steadiness of his picture. He's gotten himself into a rather awkward angle while peering through his camera lens. Yes, just like that, he says. Now, if you wouldn't mind, please do keep your tongue at May's opening. Martha... Ever dedicated, finds a way to sidle herself in between two of the tripod's long legs, then resumes sucking the photographer's long cock. Steady now, steady, he warns in a raspy voice. You wait and wait with your tongue pressed wide over May's long slit. Eventually, there comes the familiar, robust shunk from Mr. Hartman's fine camera, followed by the familiar acidic plume of smoke drifting toward your ceiling. Oh, you sweet, sweet girl. To the chair, yes, yes, Mr. Hartman fairly growls. As you listen to Martha's garbled moans and May's open-mouthed breaths, it feels as though you have everything you've ever wanted in hand, or at the very least, within easy reach, as you taste and suck May's cunt. You cherish this woman and this moment more than any other before it. For the first time, you feel something close to contentment. You are happy. The girls, your girls, are finally happy, living as they please. And soon... The men will arrive, bearing wallets as thick as their cocks. A knock sounds at your door. It's Agnes. Her eyes scan the room, and her chest rises with a deep intake of breath as your fist fucks into May. Agnes presses her right hand between her legs, causing a cleft in the front of her skirts. May's thighs strain and tremble. Her back arches, and she cries out, You suck her nub until she can't squeeze your fist any tighter. After the erotic cries resounding throughout your room have subsided, Agnes announces with rosy cheeks, Your guests have begun to arrive, madam. today's episode it was part two hey if you didn't catch part one go back and listen to it and then listen to part two again <laughs> yeah,
1: probably, or you should listen to part two first and then listen to part one and see what happens <laughs> what
0: <laughs> okay if you are not following us on Twitter already clearly you need to do so at the KMQ so that you don't miss out on any of our audiobook giveaways, but also whenever we post our episodes. Uh, if you want more sexy stories and would like to support the show, you gotta go to Amazon, iTunes, or Audible and search Rose Caraway. Remember to leave us a review because that's that, how other lurid listeners find us. Totally. And plus, we want to know what you like. Blowjobs.
1: Wait. <laughs> we like blowjobs. <laughs>
0: A uh, him and hers blowjobs? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really, yeah. <laughs> Audio production by Big Daddy, Dave Caraway.
1: The KMQ would like to thank the following musical artists. Plasticine Cowboy, Jason Shaw, Kai Engel, Mr. Smith, Drake Stafford, and the KMQ introduction music by Vivich.
0: The Kiss Me Quick's Erotica Podcast is a Stupid Fish production and is brought to you by In Medias Res, you in the midst of things. Available right now in Audible.
1: Or your subconscious.
0: Or in your subconsciousness. (laughs) All right, you guys. Love you. See you soon. Stupid fish. Is there a back of the subconscious. There's the existential question of the day. You have your subconsciousness, but is there a back end to it?
1: Like a what you well, co- dressing room?
0: The, it's it's it, like
1: the dressing room for your subconscious?
0: You know what it is? It's the, all the dirty parts. Yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 well, no, that's in the that's main floor. That's in the floor. <laughs> yeah. No, it's the...
0: Uh, What's the back end of All this? the
1: blood and guts of the bloody gory part.
0: Like the horror part the, of it? Yeah, I don't well, know. Well, that's at the forefront of mine. What is the back end of our subconscious?
1: Maybe it's you come back around to the regular consciousness. <laughs> oh no. We just went it,
0: <laughs> full circle. Yeah, we just, just <laughs> Is there a beginning? Okay. <laughs> Anyways.
1: What does it mean? What do you think it means, subconscious? If I say the word peacock, what's the first thing you think of? Bird. Oh, that's not very entertaining.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Flouncy feathers. How about
1: peacock dancing disco?
0: John Travolta. <laughs> Also,
1: you know, predictable. <laughs> I'm really looking for that unco- I want you to say 87 Corvette or I, something.
0: Oh, well, I mean, I'm not impressed by Corvettes. I rode in one and it was just not It looks good, but the ride itself, whatever exactly. year this was, was Peacock.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's a peacock. They don't fly very good, <laughs> like but it you, looks awesome.
0: <laughs> you look at it and it's beautiful, but then you hear it and you're like, "What?" That's your sound, okay?
1: Oh, it's such a weird, it's a weird sound. No, no, I'm still talking about the peacock. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious.